Welcome to Project Canary Season 2 with Crystal Mundy and I. We are here back yet again with this <laughs> delivering the news, the the horrible news that we don't like doing, but yeah, yet we uh, are still doing yet again. Um, Kathy I would, and Andrea I really, so... really love to not be talking about COVID anymore, but that is not my life. So okay. here we are again to talk about COVID. Yeah. So let's talk about COVID and let's talk about the exposures and numbers. Cause I know Kathy and Andrea are up to like past midnight again with school exposures with only, you know, a month and a half in the school. This is ridiculous. Yeah. So in terms of maybe I'll back up a little bit to what happened over the summer. Cause we ended at some point in the summer and then we were going to come back when school started and it's sort of school took off a lot faster in terms of cases than we than we uh, had last year. Not that we didn't expect that, but mm-hmm. over the summer, they pretty much decided that they were no longer going to send school notifications, which we expected they were going to do. And then they did that. So the rest of us said no. And then Kathy and Andrea essentially revamped the system so that parents could now report exposures when their child was positive and when they were at school and whatnot because we were going to be in a position where we would have no information coming. Mm -hmm. So that happened and that led us to the start of a school year where we were getting no notifications. So we decided to uh, community it up. So I restarted the newsletter about the daily stats. So I've been sending out a daily newsletter for about five weeks now. And Thank you so much for that. It's, it's, yeah, I mean, unfortunately, it's pretty much what we said it would be now. So children, last time we talked, I think we're hovering between 19 and 21% of the cases. Um, Now at about a week into October, they are at about, they're resting between 25 to 30% now fluctuating. I expect they're closer to 40, but our testing remains low. We've sort of max out on testing right now too so there's uh there's a whole bunch of issues that are ongoing at the same point that we knew and we expected but the weird part for me is I'm in Alberta now so I I'm working full-time at my residency and I am in AHS Alberta Health Services and I work in hospitals specifically and I'm working on an inpatient ward so I'm I'm in the hospital system is that When in the summer, Alberta said they were going to do all these crazy things and take away our notifications, there was this big rise up uh, in the healthcare system here led by Joe Vapond, Dr. Joe Vapond, and they essentially kiboshed that because they shamed them out of it. The, the, The really wacky thing to me now is BC has essentially done all those things that Alberta was going to do silently, and they have lower cases because of this, because they're not testing people they're having them isolate they're not increasing they cut a bunch of the testing centers we've seen people take three hours with their children to get a test like waiting in line on the weekends so it's really it's still this weird cognitive dissonance that bc somehow is has its own pandemic which is the most bonkers thing that we know and have unfortunately been talking about for you know on the close end of a year now. Yeah. And what is so horrible is that they silently did this. And there's mm-hmm. a recent leak of a UCP report circulating that said they knew the damage that was going to happen to the communities and the kids are going to get sick because they're all congregating in community hubs called schools. And they knew that this was going to happen and they decided not to do anything about it. Right. And, you know, and, and, we know that's happening in BC. They 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 have been truncating the data. They have been hiding data results. Now they're and, not even and bothering. And that has been admitted in public now. Penny Daflo's story came out about the hospitalization numbers. They confirmed everything that we've been talking about since March with regards to the hospitalization numbers. They gave us it one day to show us that it was different, and then they stopped giving us that information again. That's right. You know, the fact that Penny Daflos is asking the questions. Thank you, Penny. But mm-hmm. like, you know, like Fraser Health region has 30 times the exposures as Vancouver Coastal Health. Well, How does and, that even happen? 
we well uh, vancouver coastal health is clearly not reporting uh exposures and outbreaks and whatnot because i mean there's no reason for them to have lower rates unless they're somehow using better measures which could be true too we've seen that in some of the schools and the the wealthier parts of vancouver and north vancouver so that could also be a possibility but Fraser Health is getting extremely hard hit again, as is Northern Health. It is the same thing, honestly, that we saw in Wave 3, in Wave 2, that these people are getting hard hit and they're ignored. The positivity rate has not been going down, yet we're having full stadiums full of people and we are pushing forward with, with, we had no measures in classrooms, right? Like in September... We returned with only children in grades 4 to 12 wearing masks still and all children grade 3 and under not, which is the majority of unvaccinated children. Of course, we saw it spike. That's exactly what we said would happen and exactly what was happening in the countries that were already hit by Delta. Because let's rewind. Practical COVID before, it was 15 minutes of exposure. Delta was 1,000 times more transmissible. What that translated to was you only needed exposure for one second. So we now packed these classrooms with children that were unvaccinated, you know, half of them probably asymptomatic according to the data, to then spread it around. We, We have a large population that is still unvaccinated in adults and people that are refusing as well. So they're just stewing in the pot now. It's just, you know, the hospital. Yeah. And the hospitals have had no break. You know, a couple weeks ago I came out and came into the media because of how hard hit the Island was and how much the medical teams were struggling. They still haven't had a break. These, the hospitalizations per week are not going down for them. Right. This, when I went on Real Talk a couple months ago and I said, like, we have to have honest conversations about the cost of opening. This is exactly what I was talking about, right? Like, we didn't, but we didn't have the conversations. We just reopened and pretended like this wouldn't happen. Of course it happened. So now it's Fraser Health that's getting hit. Now it's going to be Northern Health. It's going to be those communities that don't have the means, that don't have the options. We know that. Right. We know this. This is exactly what yep. we said would happen. It and now exactly and, what we said was going to happen. Yeah. And now thousands of children are getting infected again per week. And we're only five weeks into school at this point. Right. Like we have had as of, you know, this week we had one thousand two hundred and seventy five reported exposures from parents. That's probably at least a third or a quarter of what's actually out there. Right. Because it's self-reported. Oh, yeah. Yeah. This is confirmed cases. These are confirmed positive cases of people that chose to get testing and then chose to report it to the tracker. So there's a huge amount of people that got tested and wouldn't report it because they don't want anybody to know the people that are refusing to get get tested. tested. People don't believe in it. Like all that. So you you can guarantee it's been, you know, three to four times larger, at least of what we're seeing. So it's just... It's been so reckless and irresponsible. And to add to that, they've been, you know, every week when they show the unvaccinated chart to show how many are in ICU, they've been messing with the number categories to try and hide when there's children in there. But they make it really obvious because they change the na- the age categories when they're trying to hide information. So we know there's been children in the hospital, a number of children under 10 that have been in the ICU. And now children under 10 for the last two weeks, which, you know, school's been in session for about five, four, four weeks. So about two weeks after school's been in session, we saw an increase in the kids under 10. They bypassed kids between 10 and 19, which they hadn't done the entire pandemic because kids under 10 represent about 9% of the population, I believe, and kids 10 to 19 represent about 10%. So they were respectively carrying those percentages. But when we saw last week things were getting bad, they kids under 10 were accounting for up to 20% of the new cases. And we said this was going to happen. We said the kids that are not vaccinated... Come fall, if you throw them all into enclosed spaces with no ventilation and no masking, that yes, 100% 
you are going to get mass infections. And look, we were right again. And prior to school, that this wasn't happening. So it I know. wasn't happening, right? And hundreds of kids a day are now getting infected. Hundreds each day. We're averaging at know, least between 150 to 300 kids under 19 a day getting infected. That's ridiculous. And it's criminal that the fact that this is even happening a year later when we have been screaming from the rooftops that COVID is one airborne, COVID mm-hmm. is a hospital still on droplet protocol disease. in BC and in Alberta. How can you be on droplet protocol for an airborne virus? Okay, mm-hmm. the research and the scientific evidence is unequivocal. It COVID is airborne. The fact that you are continuing refusal to acknowledge airborne pr- protections and protocols is criminal. It is criminal. And the and, fact that and it so is much- criminal. We saw this in <laughs> SARS, right? Like yeah. it went to court. They lost because they did not, you know give the proper protection to the nurses and the staff they should have. This is that on a fucking global scale. Like the entire of Canada's healthcare workers should be provided with N95 quality masks for their protection. Yes, proper They're PPE not getting from that. The beginning. No. And, that. and in fact, in some times, in some areas, they're, you know, they're told not to, that that's just going to invoke, you know, fear or those things. It's so incredibly wrong it's incredibly wrong what's happening and they are doing it for a variety of you know motivations i can't i can't read people's minds so i'm not going to ascribe motivations to them but for clearly political personal gain whatever gain it is it's not for the good of the people at least not the good of the people that i know and the people that are being impacted by covid it's absolutely unethical is what it is, you know, and the fact that intelligence community has come to pretty much wide consensus that, yes, this is lab made virus. This is a bioweapon. And the fact that we have politicians and policymakers that are not bothering to protect our citizens is incredibly concerning, especially the the nature of this virus, how we now are finding out with confirmed reports, which we've known for a long time, is that COVID also knocks down your immune system and you can develop things like type 1 and type 2 diabetes. How many kids have developed diabetes from this virus or some other immune-compromising health condition after contracting this virus? And the fact that you're just allowing children to be infected with something that could cause long-term damage and disability is completely unethical. Completely unethical. Well, and we just, we don't even understand or know the rates of long COVID that there are going to be. And as we've talked about a hundred times and, and, you know, these are the things I don't bother to talk about anymore because there's no point the more we allow community transmission, the more we breed variants. Like we are feeding the virus information to get better at knowing us, the more we expose it to us. And Delta is our current problem. There's a whole bunch of variants already out there being labeled that are problems for us. And we already see that Delta's kicking the vaccines, butt a little bit, you know, last Mm -hmm. week, 30% of those hospitalized were vaccinated. Were they not? That's terrifying. Mm. That means that we're losing this war on COVID and any efforts made by NATO to vaccinate our citizens in this COVID war will be nullified and all be undone by people who refuse to get with science, with people who refuse to take action to save our community members and our citizens. It's so, for me, it's like I have these issues with BC but even like globally what we've done is just truly cruel because now we are doing exactly what I said we would do which is now that we've allowed a variant that is going to mess with the vaccine transmissibility we are now doing boosters right which means that all the supplies that we were going to donate to other countries the supplies that we were going to fast track there, they will be gone. And 
we will put them towards ourselves. And I understand we want to live. I want to live too. If I could get a booster, I'd get one now. I will always get vaccinated. But I, I shudder to think of our national role as a country and uh, uh, the U.S. as well, our, our North American representation, what we've done in terms of squandering the benefits of the vaccine we could have clearly had. Absolutely. Selfishness breeds selfishness. And the reason why we have to have freaking boosters is because of selfish people who we, refuse to consider others. And we probably wouldn't have needed this this booster so quickly if we had done something reasonable like keep schools closed until kids got vaccinated because of the transmission rates we were seeing or do something to try and stop those transmission rates in schools because we've allowed so much spread now. It's yeah. just, it's, it's mind boggling to be honest. And it's Reckless endangerment and it's irresponsible is what it well, is. It is. It's right. Like the, the means to not do this are there. They're there. Yeah. So again, I'm not, I don't ascribe motivation to people, but what I can say is that the data has been there for a clear time. Me and many other people have tried to get it to the people that need it. We've tried to throw it at them. You know, it's, it's a choice at this point. It, um, it doesn't. It doesn't have to be a malevolent choice to be a bad one. It just has to be a selfish choice, and, and that is what a gr a group of continuous people are making, and that makes up an entire system that is now taking down all of the benefits that we had, unfortunately. And they're gaining movement, right? Like there mm -hmm. are still large marches in Alberta against vaccine mandates. There are still restaurants in Kelowna that are getting shut down because they refuse to abide by the vaccine mandates. If you think of two years ago to now, the fact that that the world is, our society is falling apart because we can't get a group of people to get vaccinated, that's absolutely mind-numbing and boggling yeah. and perplexing yeah. and disappointing and humbling at how much we don't understand about ourselves and our ability to survive it's the entitlement the selfish entitlement and i i i you know i credit this to the culture of saying everyone gets a freaking participation ribbon <laughs> for showing up i would agree doing shit no no like right that is just reinforcing mediocrity you know, when when you just give every kid a participation ribbon just because they showed up and then when they don't get one, their parent comes to school and they demand that they get it because they missed well, out because they didn't show up. OK, there's a lot of that happening right now, this entitlement and your entitlement to your personal choice and your assertion of your independence and your civil rights. It stops when your action starts to endanger another human being. Okay? Well, this these, is where the line stops. The individuals that are upset that business is abiding by the vaccine mandate, the whole point of your point is freedom. And a private business is allowed to d decide on that, can have policies about vaccine mandates. So... They're not discriminating against you. They're simply running their business just as you're a person that gets to operate your body and decide which businesses to try to visit. But if you're not following the mandate there, you don't get to go in. I don't get to come to your house and just demand to come in. Right. Does, yeah, and does anybody no understand? Yeah. Does anybody understand how that's a little bit weird <laughs> and how that would get you arrested? in other contexts like imagine it's if i just like went up to justin trudeau's house and just walked in and was like well you know what i'm allowed to be here i needed to come talk to you it's my right it's my freedom to come in your house right no, like freedom yeah no it's not your freedom i'm sorry when the Luftwaffe was bombing London, you know, during World War II and, and people were ordered to tape their windows and shut the lights off. I'm sorry. It's not your freedom to turn the fucking lights on if you want to read a book when you're under attack. OK, well, this and is the same thing. This is the COVID war. We're under attack. 
Well, and the the choice that people are making when they do that and they choose not to engage with the things that we need to do is that, well, and it's just, it's not freedom. That's what they're trying to do is force. It's, you know, your rights to that stop at the, my body. Like you don't get to shove your way into a store. You don't get to spit in my face. You don't get to block my way into a hospital because you're mad about COVID. These are, that's insane. Yeah. Like genuinely, I am, I wrote a post the other day that said like, when I was a child, I watched videos of, of people in the iron lung for years that mm-hmm. they just were there to survive and that was their life and I see my mom's giant welt on her arm from her smallpox vaccine and like the fact that we even have to have this conversation humanity at least in North America we've lost the sense and when I say we I don't really include myself I just a large portion of people that are acting this way right now is that it, we've lost a sense of ethical standards for our behavior we've lost a sense of morality like that's the point of our laws that's the point of what we act on in society that's the point of the democracy that we have is that we made a group decision to live together cohesively and in order to do that we needed to follow those things these individuals yeah these individuals are no longer they're, it's not even that they're abiding by the social contract. They've decided to sidestep it altogether. That's right. And so. just decide that they get to make their own contract. And, you know, who cares what happens to us, which includes, you know, people who are immunocompromised or, or elderly or, or families right now, right? Like a very clear subsection of individuals are benefiting during the pandemic. That's right. It tends to be middle, upper class uh, white people. There's going to be a, a variety within there and a range, but that is who's benefiting. And those are also the people that are talking about the economy, that are worried about politics over this, that are worried about how much their hedge funds are making. Like it's, they're not even living in the same world as us. So of course they're not targeting to us. They don't give a fuck. No, we call those the predatory class. They're not the upper class. They're the predatory class because it's what at whatever costs they're going to win and add to their bank account, even if it's human suffering. And I and if you start and shift your view to this, then you'll understand all their decision making and their policies because all it matters is their bottom line and their portfolios, right? They don't give a shit about the mother who's struggling to get milk for well, her son because they on don't welfare even think about it, it, Mel. It doesn't they don't it care. Doesn't it's not a, in their stream of consciousness. It's it's but that's a, I want to tease that out a little bit of yeah, it's not even in their thoughts. It's not like these people no. are going to work and like thinking about the having empathy for like these poor sad people that are poor like they don't even think we exist. They don't even consider us. We don't no. exist. That's not no, who their, their target entitled, audience is. Yeah. They're in Just their like my bubble. target audience isn't academia anymore, isn't, you know, rich white folk who want me to speak a certain way. That's no longer my audience, right? But that's yeah. their audience. Yes. That's why they're not talking to you and I'm talking to you. This is the point. This is the point, right? When Adrian Dix and Bonnie Henry come out tomorrow, they're not speaking to us the people that are yelling at the tv they don't care what we think they're speaking to the people that want their business open that don't care if the rates are going up that don't care if the hospitals are having issues that just want to go on their vacation that want to plan that you know international flight that want to go on that business trip those are the people that they're talking to and those are the people that are going to keep this going because they're the ones that have the policies and the power a lot of the time. And we've seen that clearly. And the only thing that is stopping people from having people power is organizing, right? Mm-hmm. They have made it so it's impossible to not only take time off work to get yourself tested for a freaking virus during a pandemic. 
that they're it may- falling apart though it's falling apart for them in a way that it wasn't last year because we refused to accept when they said they wouldn't give us notifications anymore right That's like we good. decided to sidestep them and be like no you know it doesn't but it it's hard you know teachers are just in an impossible position again nurses and healthcare staff are in these impossible positions again you know it's it's very hard reports of a whole school staff being threatened with uh termination if they were to talk to anyone or reveal anyone about all the illnesses that are happening in their school like can you imagine being having to go to work and try to function in that environment and try to be fucking positive for the kids all day long. And then being told you have to shut up, be quiet and watch everyone you give a shit about and everyone you care about get sick and die possibly. Like I just cannot imagine the psychological torture that is happening right now. Well, and, and EMS is like still failing in BC. Like we're seeing that people aren't getting through to ambulances. Like, where is the discussion about this in the media that yeah. the healthcare system is under that much pressure still? Because why are we still having tourists come? Why are we encouraging these big events when our healthcare system is under so much stress? Why are we not thinking ahead? An hour this, and a half wait for an ambulance like, in Kelowna. When was the report? When Island Health responded to all that media coverage I did a couple weeks ago, their response to my statement that we have no beds left, like there's no staff for these beds, their response was, we can make more surge beds if needed. Uh, That wasn't really my point. (laughs) My point was we don't have any staff left and all the beds in the world aren't going to help. And if we have a huge truck crash right now we're already going to have to triage people because of our resource issue and your thought is we're going to add more surge beds yeah what world are these people living in not reality clearly because it's their policies are not meeting you know the actual need and And people are getting hospital acquired covid People are getting hospital-acquired COVID, and that is where they should be safe. You know, our most vulnerable are going into places where they need help because they're vulnerable and they can get COVID now because we're on droplet protocol. Because in Alberta, there was a bonkers note that I saw go around that at one of the hospitals when a a laboring woman could have her COVID-positive partner in there as long as they're abiding by droplet protocol. I saw that. What is that about? (laughs) How does that work? Well, I mean, again, I'm not going to say where I work or any specifics about that because I I really like working at AHS and the leadership has been really, really great. Um, The difference between the leadership between here and the BC system has been um, quite different from what I've seen. But, um, you know, one of the hospitals I wear my N95 in and they're fine with it. At the other hospital, I have to... I have to take it off and put a blue surgical mask on, depending on who's there. Sometimes I just ignore them. Sometimes I can put it on top. But some of them make me take my mask off in a room where there's 10 other people. That's insane. But I will usually just put it on over now and they know me. But most people wouldn't argue, right? And, like, most people are just wearing those surgical masks. So we've done a really, really poor job of communicating what airborne means and what the precautions should be. And we've had such an acceleration in the ability of having N95 quality masks and trying to get them a price point down. And if the government had actually bought into that, we could have been manufacturing them and supplying these to all workplaces. And we haven't, right? We haven't. And that's another failure. I can tell you that um, Joe Zapon's masks are really, really effective. The N95 masks are awesome. Uh, I had to spend 12 hours, 12 plus hours in a COVID infected ER ward about a week ago. And mm-hmm. good thing I had Dr. Vipon's masks with me and I had one on because, you know, I could have caught COVID. Yeah, I I have gotten them from uh, Masks for Canada and then I also get some from Vitacore. Um, I have a 10% Vitacore coupon on my website some, or on my Twitter feed if you look it up somewhere. 
Um, I can find it. Cool. But it's, yeah, it's so hard. And it's hard to have conversations with people when they're not really apprised of the data or they haven't really looked into it. Um, to, to have those conversations and to not, you know, them not feel like you're judging them and stuff because a lot of people are just not really apprised of what's happening, which is, again, a real failure of public health because looking at how serious it is in Alberta and other places and how serious it still is in BC, despite the fact they deny it, we have son- done such a poor job of trying to um, manage it within the community by effective communication and actual public health strategies. I absolutely concur. And, you know, it shouldn't be on the shoulders of just citizen activists or no. parent volunteers to do that job, which is what they have, they have not changed anything that they are doing to support the community since this pandemic has, has begun. Like, I would have expected, you know, they would have hired some people that would have taken over Kathy and Andrea's, you know, assignments that they had give, taken on themselves. But nope, no, no, if anything, they've they've responded several times that people need an authoritative source on schools, um, alluding to the fact that, you know, their data shouldn't be trusted and my newsletter and all those sorts of things. But at the end of the day, like people need the information. If we're going to say people have to go out in their daily lives and engage in risky situations, like it's cruel and it's unfair to not let people know what the risk is and at least give them as much data as you can to make those decisions, especially when it's decisions that may result in, in life or death situations for them. Absolutely. Let's, um, let's talk a bit more about the cruelty. The fact that there, it is cruel that they are not doing this and how it, mm-hmm. there's so much negative after effects of this. I mean, you, you've been tweeting a lot about moral injury. Can mm-hmm. we talk about moral injury for a bit there? Yeah, well, so part of what I've been focus, focusing on since I've moved to AHS is um, trying to get assistance to frontline support workers, especially if critical care triage has to go into effect. So I'm going to explain critical care triage because a lot of people don't really understand it because a lot of people mistake the idea with making a a decision at an individual level about say you have two patients and one needs a ventilator. That is triage in in the sense that you have to make a decision about resource allocation and resources are limited. It's not the same as what it would be if we went to provincial critical care triage. Mm -hmm. What that, what that means is that that would be the standard of care across the province in all hospitals. So nobody has a choice in that anymore and no doctors have a choice in offering their services anymore. This is what, that's what happens when critical care triage is um, undergone. So this would mean at every hospital that those sort of decisions are being made at that level everywhere in all ICUs, in all those places, uh, regardless. And when you're in that scenario as well, according to HS policies that they have, there is no appeal. So when an individual has been decided like they're not going to get a ventilator or they're not going to go to ICU, the family can't appeal that process. So you can imagine that on a large scale across the province, that's going to result in a a lot of um, difficult situations, difficult ethical situations for people because Many are having to make decisions for clients that they feel could benefit that say are are vaccinated um, or for people that have come in unvaccinated that made that choice that are fighting with them, perhaps things like that. They have to serve those people. Making choices about deciding on care is really difficult. All those things because people can die if they don't receive that care. And that is what would likely happen. Yes. So if somebody's in a terrible, um, terrible car accident and they come in, they need a ventilator, but there's a COVID patient there that has a much more likelihood of surviving a year from that date, that person with the COVID is going to get the ventilator. And the person that came in with the motor vehicle accident will likely be triaged and not receive it if it's really significant. And they're, you know, this again, it's about survivability within a 12-month period and that's what all the decisions are made on it's objective assessment measures of a 12-month period so our the decisions will no longer really be in the hands of anybody it will be in those assessment measures and everybody will just be dealing with the outcomes moral distress is 
the feeling essentially that would result from those things. So having to make a decision for a lot of healthcare workers to not be able to provide care to both parties that need it. They got into the field to be able to provide care. They never got in the field to be able to not provide care to somebody that needs it, if that makes sense. So they're going to experience moral distress because they're in this position where they can't do what they feel like they should be doing. Mm -hmm. Moral injury is when it goes up to sort of a next level of it's more severe than that. And part of it is related to feeling that they are being put in that position by systemic factors. So this is where the government problem really comes in and has the possibility of causing a lot of psychological harm. And at a scale, I think we really don't understand yet because a lot of the healthcare workers across Western Canada, whether it's BC, Alberta, Saskatchewan, Manitoba, um, feel incredibly harmed by our government whether it's john horgan's government whether it's kenny's whether it's moe's they feel incredibly harmed and unsupported the unfortunate part of that is that the literature is clear and i've been diving into it lately is that when people feel unsupported the risks of moral injury are so much higher they're so much higher because it's the perfect environment for moral injury if you can think to the stream I just gave you of we're in this perfect position where they feel like they've been at this for almost two years. The government is still not doing anything. They feel so close to exhaustion and burnout. Now they have anti-vaxxers yelling at them and accosting them They're They might have to make these horrible triage decisions. We've literally put this perfect position there of moral injury of the system, just not being there of them feeling unsupported so that if we have, triage you know a lot of people are going to experience really hard outcomes because of that whether it's now or whether it's later um it's trauma it is what it is is trauma it is it is trauma Mm -hmm. it's systemic imposed trauma based on policy Right. right and and people could say they could just walk away, but that's the point. That's the moral distress. They don't feel like they can walk away. They're there to help. That's their entire job. And them walking away means that nobody would then get help from them. So they can't do that either. So they feel exactly. trapped by a system that is failing them. And that sets right. up that perfect environment for moral injury. And actually, while yeah. I'm discussing that, if people are mm-hmm. experiencing um, that moral distress, that moral injury. I, I do want to say, really, really be careful with your teams. Do not do crisis debriefing right after trauma. So don't dive into details of trauma. That's really not what you should be doing. When we're in a state of perpetual crisis like this, when we're in survival mode, you need to focus on the small things. So you need to be doing hmm. things like doing a short gratitude list of doing deep diaphragmatic breathing. You need to survive because if you start kind of trying to process the trauma when we're not in a place where we can actually process it properly, you can make things worse. Um, So, you know, if you're on teams that are making those decisions, just do some reading about moral distress. Do some reading about psychological first aid. There's lots of information out there about psychological first aid. If you just Google it, lots of resources will come up. Talk to your team about doing that. Look at doing psychological first aid while we're in crisis. There's lots to be done after the wor- afterwards, but it's not the time while we're in the middle of it. And you know what? That is applicable across the board Mm -hmm. for all kinds of crises. And I mean, even for everyone on every part of this asymmetric COVID war, right? Listen to what Crystal just said about psychological band-aids and not debriefing when you're right away in mid-crisis. And that is what we're doing. We are in mid-crisis, right? Mm -hmm. Until we have managed, until we're managed this situation, right? Until the situation is like handled, we will not be out of crises, right? Because this is ongoing. Right. It's ongoing. It's, well, it's, and it's, it's even the reason why. Attack. 
Yeah, it's even the reason why people find the pressers really triggering right now psychologically is yeah. because yeah. it because it, it, you can't get away from it because it's always the same excuses. They're always saying the same thing, but you're still in the same distress. So you're like, mm-hmm. I, I, it's that feeling of helplessness is what it creates is because you, you we, we have no control. So the point of psychological first aid, the point of the measures to deal with it is getting back those tiny moments of control, right? Getting back those little things where we get back in our bodies, where we get back to being ourselves, because it's so easy to get lost in the scope of what is happening right now. And it's interesting you point out that the pressers are are like continuous psychological (laughs) attacks in successive traumatic attacks in this COVID war. Because you're right. It doesn't help people feel better, does it? It makes them feel even worse. To be honest, from and I say this, um, take off my psych hat and just put on my human hat. Um, my grandmother was one of the deaths in December in the long-term care. And hearing them hearing them continue to use that same line with just such a lack of compassion and the lack of genuine human emotion is mm-hmm. uh, I, it's not even angering anymore. It, it kicks in a very, very deep feeling of despair for me that, that we're that we're this many months past that. And it's the same thing. And it's easy to just spiral in that, right. To just be like, how can we, how can we be dealing with the same thing this long in? And then I remind myself of the small things we've made and the things we're doing and the newsletter. And that's why I do the newsletter, to be honest, is because if I didn't have something to give right now, I would be lost in that spiral of helplessness. I need to feel like I can somehow move us away from this bad place. Thank you for sharing that with us. Cause I know for a fact you're not the only one that's feeling like this, right? Mm -hmm. There are so many other people who have lost so much, like you and I, and and they're feeling the same thing. But no one's able to verbalize it, right? Well, because that's the the point is very difficult for most people. We're still in the crisis, right? It's like we don't have the time to stop and process it, like... I don't have the time to think about my grandma and how short or how long it's been because I got to get up the next day. I got to go to work. I got to, you know, do the newsletter for the day. And that's what is healthy for me right now. And and that's what I am saying to people is like, mm-hmm. we can't get wallowing in the scope of this or we won't make those changes. And that's why we have to do those small things that we can control and those small changes we can make because it it is moving things no matter how small the needle is. That's right. You gotta push on. Well, the battle also gets hard. Gives you us, quit. You keep going. It gives us meaning to take those steps. That's part of you know, psychological first aid, that's part of getting that control is taking steps to feel like you are, you know, moving away from that in some way, whether it's emotionally or, or, or psychologically getting some distance from those things, which creates more space for you to just be you in those moments. I don't know what I expect this week. Um, uh, let's, let's do a little predicto, uh, a whole lot of nothing. <laughs> it's what I expect from them, right? Uh-huh. I don't expect them to, to rise up at any point because they have failed to demonstrate. So, you know, um, I expect it, the, wholeheartedly the, they're going to the, come the out tomorrow and proudly state that you could register your kids now, which means absolutely nothing in the scheme of things other than makes people feel yeah. a little bit better that they can register their child, but doesn't actually change what's happening. They're going to use that as the bright and shiny for the week so that they refuse to talk about the exploding cases in schools and children being up in terms of percentage. And they'll just smile and keep saying that schools are safe. And we won't see much of a rise in cases. We'll probably tap out at about 800, 850 cases per day on Tuesday or Wednesday because they uh, tend to, they, 
they've just maxed out testing now. We can't get any higher. So I don't suspect that cases will get much higher because they're not adding testing centers. So, you know, we again, we can't make more tests where there aren't any. So, yeah. So, and the positivity rates have been pretty static, you know, for a while. So it's not like they're adding a bunch more testing. Because when we look at the MSP only testing, positivity rates pretty much static. So they're not doing anything. It's shameful. It is. Shameful. It. Yeah, it is painful. It's 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 so shameful. Yeah, and Horgan is just such an embarrassment, truly. And Bonnie Henry. You know, she clearly hates masks. I mean, I don't think there's anyone that doubts that anymore in terms of how reactive she is when she has to announce mask mandates for children. Like, you can just see it on her face, how much she dislikes it. And the fact that she still talks about how masks, that like, cost-benefit has to be done for children. No. No, it doesn't. Kids are wearing masks all over the world, everywhere. Like, this is beyond ridiculous at this point. Beyond ridiculous. ridiculous. COVID is airborne. We know that. They still refuse to acknowledge that. It We're the same, the same shit, different day, right? Like, we're in, we're in October of 2021, and we are talking about the same things we were talking about in March of 2021. It's shameful. It's ridiculously shameful that they are still pretending that anyone believes them. This is the part that just kills me. All right. Like they don't realize that the survivors and the families and the community members that from all the disastrous decision-making that they're not going to have their name dragged through the mud for in perpetuity. Like there's a reason why there's a saying your name is mud. Okay. Or why we say, Oh, that guy's Benedict Arnold. Like, when your name is associated with shit like this, you don't get to live it down. All right. Because. Oh, I think that. uh... No one's going to let you. And if they think they're going to live it down, if they choose to not do anything about saving our children, our community members, I can tell you right now, even if Crystal and I are long dead and long gone, the other survivors are never going to let you live this down. Well, and this is like a generational thing. Like, we're going to be having to look at records for the next 50 years on this. It's stupid how terrible globally the reaction has been. Like, we are in a mind-bogglingly bad time. You know, we're like living Cold War years, but we don't know we're in Cold War years. (laughs) It's just like... We are in a Cold War. And the problem is, is that when you are forward or introspective enough to understand you know how history applies and understand what the future is going to look like a little bit it's just so depressing to watch it happen in slow motion like this it really is because there's so many interventions we could be putting it along the way that we just it's really depressing to see how many people in power are just you know base basically selfish like that's really what it comes down to it's not even malevolent selfishness it's just they suck like they can't think outside of themselves um and we've seen the real fracture of leadership we've had that we've we've moved away from ethical leadership and that's become quite clear i hope that in the future we move towards trying to foster honesty and and foster morality but you know that I'm coming to discover that's just not something a lot of people value anymore. And, and that's uh, quite depressing, <laughs> but I keep doing my radical honesty thing and I'm just going to keep calling it out and that's all I can do. And hopefully that will bring some people along to do the same. <laughs> you keep doing you. You're right. It's just a lack of moral leadership, right? The fact that yeah. we should have taken a war footing from the beginning when this pandemic started and yet we just willy-nilly decide oh everything's gonna be just fine la 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 you guys are fucking idiots get on a war footing right now okay and handle this like the fact that they refuse to listen to scientists the fact that they refuse to take input from other countries that are successful in managing this well, pandemic to be is fair, just though, ludicrous 
there's lots of collusion about this at upper levels and we've seen that with the world health organization and the crap that they pulled with you know some of their people and henry and and conley and all the crappy people that have been involved in all sorts of terrible decisions so you know this is where i came back to what i said like 40 minutes ago which is the people profiting off this tend to be middle to high class white people right like those are the people benefiting yeah it's like people that are well educated have lots of money in the system flowing like have stuff to lose by this they're not worried about losing their life they're worried about losing their 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 workers they're worried about losing their businesses um and it's just a different class essentially they just don't think like we do so they're not yeah they don't care i mean i don't know how to say any more blunt but yeah they just don't care they just don't care and again this isn't like a mean spirited thing they just don't even consider it it doesn't it doesn't go into their cost benefit analysis um it's just the cost of doing business so you know i i come to the end of this podcast and i think saying what i pretty much said the last time we were on which is nothing's changed the only thing that's changed is we're pushing harder to get data out there and we'll continue to do so and there's more cracks happening which is lovely to see like the hospitalization numbers um but i think we're in for some trouble in october yeah so we're gonna keep doing this weekly again to see what's happening but um i worry for the next few weeks i really do i do because you're right it has been baked in right there was delta and then we had reports of another mu mu the mu variant Right. There's some scary ones out there floating around and they're, they're we're in an information blackout yet again. And, into oh, and they're the still wave. they're still holding our rapid test information hostage because I was, you know, rec- I've been recording that for like almost a year. They mm-hmm. update it weekly on Friday, September mm-hmm. 10th. They updated it. We'd used four point five percent of our tests. They have not provided an update since. That is shameful. That website is the Government of Canada website. It's updated every week. They updated it on October 8th last time. That was four weeks to the date since the last time BC provided an update. Still no update. They're just hiding everything at this point. Like, yeah. I point to a number and they just stop giving it. It's like, what am I supposed to do with that? <laughs> They're like, don't look at this. Oh, no, Crystal Money's pointing at that number. Let's take those numbers away. It's like when Adrian Dix puts the vaccine chart up and it's like they've they've changed the age brackets. You're like, you know, that draws attention to it. Right. Like I, you, they're not very good at this. It's because it's, they're, they're trying to do science when they don't fucking understand science. This is why they suck at it. This is yeah. why they suck at it. It's just terrible. So, I mean, we'll keep talking. I'm going to look at the situation report on Wednesday so we can talk about that on the weekend. But I mean, Project Canaries podcast is sort of back because we have to be. God, <laughs> God, I wish, I wish we didn't have to talk about COVID and I could just write or read about crime right now. Um, but no, nope, uh, still, still yep. talking about COVID. So yep. we'll be back at it again next week. And yep, recording everything as it happens. Mm-hmm. So, thank you for listening, everyone. And thank you for hanging out with us on this podcast on Project Canary as we lead the nation in intelligence and in dialogue on stuff that matters. Crystal and I say thanks for listening. Thank you. Ta-ta.